So we're in a series here, a series called Gospel Deep. And we've been walking through the book of Romans, right? And uh, so here's what it's all about, Gospel Deep. Uh, we're talking about the gospel, that, that story, that truth of Jesus Christ, the uh, investment of God into our lives, the payment of him on the cross, the gospel. And uh, here's the problem. Uh, usually we think of the gospel and you guys start talking to people and they start thinking of it as well, the starting point. It's how I get saved. And, but then life after that, well, that becomes everything else. And they start reading the rest of scripture and it becomes a list of do's and don'ts. It becomes the how's and how nots and the, and, and it becomes this arduous task that is something other than gospel. Yeah, that's not what it is. All right. And so we've used this phrase before here just a few weeks back, but the gospel, it's not the diving board. It's the swimming pool. Are you hearing it? It's not just the way I get into it's the whole of the life and living of it. It's not just a diving board. It's a swimming pool. The gospel, it affects our marriages. It affects our friendships. It affects our jobs and our employment. It affects our families and how we raise our kids. It affects all of who we are. We're not just going deep. We're going gospel deep. That's what we're talking about all year long. And we're going to be walking through uh, the book of Romans to do it. So we're in the first three chapters here. And uh, in the first three chapters, we've kind of titled this series, Gospel Deep, His Glory Trampled. His Glory Trampled. And uh, man, it's explained thoroughly. Uh, in Romans 1 and Romans 2, just a clarity of this trouncing on God's glory. It says in Romans 1 that we exchange the glory of God for, and then we replace it for ourselves, something about us. And uh, we exchange the glory of God, and there's a myriad of things we can replace it with, but none of them are as valuable or as awesome. And then it says, once we've done that, we start into this spiral of life that's all about me, a death spiral into sin. And then Romans 2 is like, and bro, we stand without excuse. Like we knew it was wrong. Whether we knew enough to just be judging another or we knew because there was this inside thing nagging at me, this conscience speaking or or because we even had God's word or the law itself. We knew and we walked away anyway and made it about me. And and uh, so Romans three is picking up with this objection, your honor. That's where we're picking up. It's like we're in a courtroom and someone is hearing the prosecution and they're fed up. And so they stand up and they're like, objection, your honor. Uh, he's saying, all right, that's where we are. There's three objections in today's passage, Romans 3, 1 through 8. And we're going to look at each of them and make sure we understand why the objections are bogus. Just so you understand, the judge does in the end say, objection overruled. Are you hearing me? So three objections and they carry no merit, but we're going to look at them here. Paul deals with them, Romans chapter 3. So turn with me there to Romans 3, uh, verses 1 through 8. We got ushers coming forward. They've got Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We're going to walk verse by verse through these eight verses here. All right. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you. Romans 3, 1 through 8. All right. So the first objection, he's basically saying, objection, your honor. Uh, he's implying there's no value in being Jewish. All right. And the answer, the answer back is simply point number one. Uh, there is value in being Jewish, even though being Jewish does not save. There is value in being Jewish, even though Jewish does not save. All right. 
Why in the world would they bring this up? I mean, you can see it first verse. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? What makes him say that? Well, if you look back into chapter 2, right, it's always about context. Make sure you're keeping track of where you are. You look at the end of chapter 2 here, and uh, Paul is bringing up Jewishness and relationship. He's bringing up circumcision and following the law. And in fact, he has a few things to say. Like, if you've done this surgery, right, that's what circumcision is. It's an outward surgery on the flesh. If you've done that, but you're not following the law... Dude, it's like you're not even with him. It doesn't count. That's not what it's about is I just had a surgery done, but I'm not doing anything to follow. And he even goes one step further. Well, what about the guy who didn't get a surgery done, but he's following faithfully? Yeah, that's more where God's going is for getting the heart in line. All right. And so he calls it a circumcision of the heart at the end of chapter two there. And and that's a quote they would have understood. It was in the law. It was in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You see that quoted over and over again, that God's going after the heart. Everybody say it's about the heart. And Paul's getting done saying that. And they're like, well, hang on then. Then what's with all this stuff I'm going through that would make me a Jew? And what's the advantage of it? Why do it? And what's the purpose of it? And so Paul's got an answer. Then what advantage has the Jew or, or what is the value of circumcision? Paul's answer, much in every way. I love that phrase. I can tell you that I've never said that phrase until I was working through this passage. Much in every way, right? Try it with me. Much in every way. Get ready. I'm going to ask the questions. You give me the answer. Uh, Then what advantage has the Jew or what value is there in circumcision? I agree with you. It says right here in scripture, right? Much in every way to begin with. That's what he says here. Some of your translations say first. And uh, so he's starting a list. But in typical Pauline fashion, he trails off and this list has one bullet. Okay, so this is his only point he's going to make. And uh, he actually gets back to a pretty thorough list in Romans chapter 9. We'll talk about that in just a second. But his list, to begin with, uh, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Uh, the same phrase, the oracles, uh, comes out of Acts chapter 7, verse 38, where it says that Moses was entrusted with the living oracles. Uh, what does that mean, oracle? Maybe not a word we use that often, right? It means the words of God that carry merit, value. Words of God that carry value, okay? And so they had the word of God. And if you go back into the Old Testament, you see Moses, Exodus chapter 20 through 23, and he gets the law from God Almighty, the living oracles. And they worked with that law. They were entrusted with holding the words that it was, thus saith the Lord. Wow. Like that's a big privilege. There's opportunity in that to be able to know what God's thinking, to know where God's heading, to know what God's wanting. Yeah, they had that. Huge value in being entrusted with his word to bring it forward. And let me tell you, the faithfulness of the scribes over the centuries to record it exactly as it was, letter by letter, every jot, every tittle, to keep it exact. By the way, I don't know if you know that, but jot and tittle are like, they're grammatical statements. They're ways they formed their words. And it's saying every little dot, every little line cross, every little everything 
managed perfectly. They managed the word of God with great respect. The oracles of God. Now, it actually, if you go forward to um, Romans chapter 9, you see some more privilege that's listed there. And I'll just read it off. Romans 9, 3 through 5. Listen to this. They also received glory and the covenants. That's basically the oracles of God that we're talking about. And the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ in the flesh. The Jewish nation has huge privilege of the law, the oracles of God and the temples and the interaction and the forefathers and the greatness of the storylines. And yes, Jesus Christ himself and a uh, fact. I wish I was Jewish. I'm telling you, if we don't get the depths of the Jewish culture, we're missing something. The value and the riches. I remember I was doing a a world religions class uh, when I was in seminary and we had to go out and visit a uh, religious setting. And so my wife and I went to a Shabbat. We went to a, a Jewish ceremony. It was awesome as they're reading through the Hebrew, as they're praying and moving in a specific way, as they had their liturgies that they walked through in respect of centuries old, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of tradition built in to them following their God. And as we walked away, we had some interesting talks I can't go into now with a couple of the people there, but as we walked away, here was the sadness in our heart. And yet they don't know Jesus Christ. All right? Please, deep compassion for the Jewish nation, for the Jewish people. There is great privilege in their interaction with God Almighty. They are the chosen people and so many still missing it. One of the kids we talked to there at at the Shabbat was telling us about how he loved to read the word. Well, Leviticus. That's what I love to read, the law. He would just pour over and over it. I asked him if he had ever read Isaiah 53. Never read it. The sacrificial savior Messiah coming for us. It's Old Testament, man. It's in their prophets. And and yes, it's not wrong at all to help them see that Jesus is a part of their solution. But respect them and their relationship with God Almighty. There is much advantage in being Jewish. That's Paul's point. And uh, notice because of the oracles of God, I just wanted to say this, the word of God, what value is there? Hebrews 4.12, great passage. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And why do you guys keep going through the word every week? Why do you go phrase by phrase and word by word? Because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Are you hearing it? Man, it isn't about our words and our creativeness. It's about God's word and his Holy Spirit moving. Amen? That's what it's all about. May his word have his way with our heart. And uh, Lord, we're listening. And, uh, do we grasp the value of the word ourselves? I mean, that was one of the main statements of why he said the Jews had great privilege because of the oracles or the words of God. You know, I'll just challenge this way. There was a guy who was uh, in a horrible tragedy, an explosion and fire, and uh, burned most of his face, uh, marred deeply, uh, burned hands, arms, all the rest. 
uh, he ended up losing his sight and could not see. So he had heard about Braille. And, and so he wanted to learn to read. So he had somebody bring in a Braille Bible. And so he started to go through it. He had been saved for about a year and a half. And he's like, I need to sink this in, man. He starts going over it with the Braille. Can't feel it. His fingertips had no feeling. And so he couldn't hear it or couldn't read it. And so then he heard about somebody who had over on the East Coast, the same injuries to the hands with burns, but had taken the Bible, lifted it up, and run the Braille across her lips so that she could feel the Braille on the lips. Man, if there's not metaphor in that. So she could feel the Braille on her lips and she read the Bible daily, Braille to the face. Okay? He heard that, so he brought the Braille in, tried it himself. The burns were too bad. He couldn't even feel it on his lips and uh, couldn't do it. And with tears streaming down his face, frustrated at where he was, uh, he tried one more time. And as he put it up, his tongue accidentally touched the braille and he could tell he could feel the bumps. He taught himself to read braille with his tongue. And the last time I read the story, he had read the Bible through fully four times over with his tongue. He longed for the word of God. He poured over the word of God. He saw it with deep privilege. And uh, question, do you treasure the word of God? Do you spend time with the word of God like there is nothing else more valuable? God, teach me from your word. Praise God, we can use our eyes. Praise God, we might only need reading glasses. And uh, But we get the word and spend some time with his word. Hear from him. Remember the word of God. It's thus saith the Lord. And it is unbelievably powerful for life change. Teach me, God, what you'd have me to know. A um, couple of quick secrets on reading if you're going to go after it. Don't feel like you have to cover a ton in one time. If you notice when we preach, we go like big, bold heading to big, bold heading. Do that. Take a few notes. What are you seeing? What's the big idea? Just stop with it. That's great. I'll tell you there's another way to read too. And and reading like multiple chapters at a time, trying to get big picture. That's great. But often we end up getting bogged down. Be careful. Spend time in God's word and hear from him. That's it. Uh, Simple request. Don't leave. Until you've heard from him. Spend time in that word. And if you need to remember the guy who's reading with his tongue. What effort spent to be able to take in his word. Spend time with the oracles of God. There is great privilege. Man, it's been passed down to us. And as he said here, the Jews have that same privilege. Um, Just having the Bible on your shelf. Just reading it. Just being entrusted with it does not save. Everybody say does not save. That's right. Trusting in Jesus Christ as Savior, leaning on Him, that's what saves. Following Him in the Word, that's a day-by-day moment as we're following the One who is our Savior. All right? So that was the first objection. Is there really any value to being Jewish? Second, objection, Your Honor. If some Jews fall away being faithless, I think you just made God unfaithful. Objection. And... uh And the judge leans in, overruled. That is an incorrect tie. There is a faithlessness, but it does not make God unfaithful. And so let's walk through it here, all right? 
He says here in verse 3, What if some were unfaithful? Meaning, they're from the lineage of the Jewish community. Meaning, they may even know the law. They may be able to quote parts of it. But they absolutely aren't following God Almighty. So then what do we need to learn? Well, the second point is this. God is faithful. Even if not all Jews are faithful in return. God is faithful even if not all Jews are faithful in return. And in fact, you can go broader than the context here. Even if not all man is faithful in return. You and me included. And uh, God is faithful even when we're not. Amen. That's the challenge here. He says, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Big answer back. Paul says, by no means. All right. And uh, just so you know, in the original language, this was two negative words put side by side that was like, I can't get more negative than this. Right. Like impossible. That's ridiculous. That was the answer he was giving back. That's why the big exclamation point after this phrase, by no means. And and so everybody just say that with me. By no means. So I'm going to ask the question. You give me the answer. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? Absolutely not. And uh, how can you say that? So I thought it is a little unfair to not have the Jewish culture if we're going to answer this question. So let's uh, leap away from this for just a moment and talk culture for a minute. Uh, Throughout the whole of the Bible, there's a word that we need to know in Scripture, and that word is covenant. All right, we've got to understand covenant if we're going to understand our God and you've got the Old Testament and you've got the New Testament and there's covenant riddled throughout. All right. And and it's explained thoroughly covenant. Now we hear the word and we we may even downplay it a little bit. I don't know why we do that in the English language so much, but we water words down. All right. Covenant. So it's not like a promise, you know, like, hey, I'll do that for you. That's a promise, right? And then we may or may not follow through, right? Promise. We haven't attached anything to it. We just said we would do it. Uh, or contract. That's like a level up, right? Hey, I'll do that for you. And I'll sign my name on it. All right? It means a little more. And usually brings something to bear if I don't follow through. Covenant is at the blood life commitment level. It's above promise. It's above contract. It's the ultimate in commitment. So I just put this definition down for covenant. A blood commitment to action by one or both parties. A blood commitment to action by one or both parties. And a big deal here. So let's talk about it for a minute. There's actually two kinds of covenant. There's the uh, unconditional covenant. Like, no matter what you do, this is what I'm going to be about. All right? Unconditional. And uh, that's what God had, like, for example, with Abraham, when he was speaking with Abraham and he's like, I want you to understand that your seed, your children and your children's children, they'll be like the sands of the shore. They'll be like the stars in the sky. There's going to be millions upon millions. That's what I'm doing. The end. Unconditional. Right. It's a covenant promise where Abraham just stands there. And it comes through. It's Genesis 12, Genesis 17, if you want to read those. It's unconditional covenant, all right? Uh, But there's also conditional covenant in the Old Testament. Conditional, all right? Like, for example, 
when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, when he came down after they had just left Egypt and he's holding the 10 commandments and he's got the law, right? Exodus chapters 20, 21, 22, 23, that, that area right there. And it's called the Mosaic covenant. It's conditional. God says, if that's how every conditional covenant starts, if you do these things, then I will do these things. If you, then I'll do. Are you hearing it? Conditional. Uh, The Mosaic covenant is conditional. Now, let me just say this. Um, We're getting a lot of factual information here right now. The Latin word for covenant is testament. Old Testament, New Testament. Are you hearing it? Old covenant, new covenant. That's what's going on. There's a reflection on the covenants. Now, the old covenant was reflecting, that was calling Moses, the Mosaic covenant out. Conditional. Everybody say conditional. It depended on us doing our thing. If you do this, then, and that's the struggle with the old covenant. Is it dependent on our heart's perfection? It basically said, if you are perfect in following the law, then... Well, then there's great blessings for all eternity. Problem, none of us are. We've just gone through that, right? Romans chapters 1 and 2, and we're all coming up short. And so the covenant of with Moses had issue with it. And it wasn't that the law or the covenant was bad. It's that our hearts could not follow through. And so God had this old covenant plan, this establishment with them to walk them conditionally through this if then and there was stuff that happened in the moment with them if you were following god you'd get some blessings in that moment but there was eternity in the balance as well if perfect in following this then and the problem was that would never follow through and uh conditional covenant and unconditional covenant big deal and uh the old covenant conditional mosaic uh, it didn't work now god wasn't sitting there looking at it going oh Well, strike one on that. Let's try a new one. The whole time he's like, I'm trying to make a point to you. It's not going to work alone. You need me. His design of the covenant and the old covenant was not a failure in its design or a failure of him. It was reflecting and showing a failure in our heart to follow. Everybody getting that? And if I'm perfect, uh uh-oh, I'm not, it falls down. Then... Well, nothing happens if we fall down on it. Everybody got it? Hearing the conditional in it all? Now let's go forward to new covenant. We're sitting with relationship with Jesus Christ now in the New Testament. It's not like God said, scratch the old. I didn't know what I was thinking. What was I thinking? I should have looked at you. You can't handle it. That's not what God was doing. He was going, the plan the whole time was to make clear you couldn't make it on your own. Now let me show you the glorious plan. The new covenant. I will write my law on your hearts. Jeremiah 31. I will show you a savior. His righteousness will be applied to you. And your sin will be sent to him. Everybody say unfair. Do you remember that? We get his righteousness when we're filthy as rags. And he gets our sin when he's perfect. Unfair. But that's the plan of the new covenant. As he takes it on himself. And then he rewards us or stores upon us his righteousness. And all of a sudden, the if clause is being met in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. 
If righteous, well, I have Jesus' righteousness counted towards me. Then I will bless for eternity. Welcome to the new covenant. God Almighty working with us in covenant. And it takes a little bit of understanding some of this if we're going to be able to get it. There's some depth of culture that we got to get. And so covenant's a big deal. And uh, so now let's go back and we're understanding conditional covenant now. If the first party fails, it doesn't mean the second party failed. It means they're hanging on for the condition to be met. And when it's not, he won't follow through, right? So here we go. What if some were unfaithful? Well, the if wasn't met. Does the faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? No. By no means. God is standing faithful to the end. The almighty king of the universe with a plan for salvation and a plan of hope with redeeming savior Jesus Christ in the midst of it. He has a plan. He knows the if is going to fail. Stop rebelling and hang on. Your God is going to do an amazing work. The old covenant is done. Fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The new covenant is our hope. In God Almighty. He is faithful. Amen. The objection. Is he faithless? And the answer is. By no means. Our God is so faithful. That when we fall down. He's coming in with a fix. Praise be to God. Awesome. Awesome privilege. Man, if we can grasp covenant threaded throughout the Old and New Testament, our God committed to that. And when we fell short, he comes in with the fix in the new covenant. Praise be to God. Now we're getting our faithful king of the universe. All right. Now he goes a little further. Let's just make clear which part of the covenant was dropped. Uh, he says, let God be true. Though everyone were a liar. Are you hearing it? There's the if and the then. If we're all liars, then, well, God's still true. He's holding the two parts. Let God be held up even when we fall short. And then he gives a quote. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Now, just so we're clear, uh, that's a quote from Psalm 51.4. Uh, And every good Jewish person would have known that quote and they would have known what came before it. But let's just read it to be careful. I'm reading Psalm 51, the whole of the verse. You ready? It says against you, you only, my God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's the first half. Then the second half, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God almighty right in his standing. Right that the covenant was violated because we have sinned and sinned against him. The if clause, we dropped it. Then, well, God can follow through with what he should be following through on because of that. Are you hearing it? He's not wrong at all to not be following through with covenant. And he's not wrong at all to, in fact, be following through with judgment. It leaves us in need and dire need. He even says at the end, And prevail when you are judged. It's an amazing quote that our God is right and righteous. Isn't it amazing that when we get in the middle of making mistakes, the first thing we look to do is find at least six other people who are to blame and then point a finger at God. Isn't that amazing? That's our thing. 
Like, oh, that's true. I shouldn't have done that. But, but she shouldn't have, and, and, and he shouldn't, and they shouldn't have, and why didn't, and, and what are you thinking with, right? What are we doing? We're sitting in our sin and rebellion and saying it'll still be about self. The moment we set that down, confess the sin, call it wrong. Please, Lord, forgive me. I want to follow you with all I have. You are faithful and faithful to the end. Praise be to God. That's when healthy worship starts. Okay? This call is a call to worship. This call in response to the objection is stop thinking so much of you and start thinking much of your God. He's amazing in what he is. You know, I'll just put it into simple terms. So imagine you're parenting your home and you're like, okay, if you clean your room, I will buy you an entire Portillo's chocolate cake, right? And I will have it here for you tomorrow. And the child comes out the next day and the room is not cleaned. And they're like, where's the cake? Right? And the mom's like, where's the clean room? And they're like, no, you said you'd get cake. No, that's not what I said. If you clean your room, then Portillo's chocolate cake, right? And you're missing the if part and you're forgetting about it and you want to blame me and really, well, the blame sits in one spot. That's exactly what Paul's saying here real simply. The if was busted. That's why the then isn't being followed through on. And that doesn't make God unfaithful. In fact, quite the contrary, true to his word to the end. That's who our God is. All right. So question, do you see God as faithful? Do you see him as ready to be at your side, caring? I'm telling you right now, there are some of you here who are going through dire heart, heartache and hurt. And you're like, no, no, I do not. There's something going on in your mindset or your understanding where God is getting the blame, where we as mankind should be getting it. That needs to be set down. Lord, please forgive me for accusing. I need to hear from you. Your God is true to the end, amazingly righteous and perfect. Whatever broken thing has happened that's turning you against him, set it down. Set it down now and hear from him. He is so tender. He is so gracious. He is so real in that moment. And he will show you his faithfulness to the end. Trust him, will you? Trust him. And uh, it's our job to set down our broken self, not our perfect God. Okay? That's where we're at. All right, so that's the second objection. Third objection. Uh, objection, your honor. So, uh, so I should continue in sin because it seems to be bringing good things out of it? We're going to say sin is good now? Is that it? Come on. What did you even just say now about this whole righteous thing coming from Christ and my sin and showing his glory? And So sin brings out goodness. Well, great, then I'll just keep on sinning. And, uh, and his response is pretty clear. So, uh, let me just start. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? 
that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? Now jump, he says, by no means. Right? The answer that he's going to give real clearly is, our sin is wrong, even if it allows God to reveal his righteousness. Our sin is wrong, even if it allows God to reveal his righteousness. And you got to hear this, because all too often we're like, well, if God's in charge, and if this allowed him to show, well, then maybe it was a good thing that, be very careful. Sin is always wrong, period. And uh, it doesn't mean it's right because God then was had a chance to reveal his righteousness. Notice he's going to say here, but if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Like, how does that happen? Well, because when you were acting like a punk, God came in and saved you from it. God pulled you out of that. There may have been consequence in the moment, but he trained your heart and he shaped your heart. And you being changed in the moment to look more like him as you're saved and you trust in him as he's pouring on you, as he's counting righteousness to you, you now are getting blasted in the midst of your sin. And so Paul was being slandered out there. People were saying uh, that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. Hey, if sin is so good, why are you punishing me? I love this. In the parentheses, Paul says, I speak in human terms. He's like, that's stupid. That's what he's saying. He's like, this is not divine words. That is dumb. Okay. There's a few times where we allow the word stupid in our house. This would be one of them. Right. So sin is good. Um, that's stupid. Okay. Period. We're allowed to see it and say it for what it is. I'm talking humanly. What a ridiculous argument. Are you saying God's wrath is unfounded? You've got to be kidding me. His answer, by no means. What's his answer? You've got to be kidding me. By no means. Is that true? Same words as we just saw before it. Each objection is, what a joke. You got to stop. For then how could God judge the world? Hey, we all know that he's supposed to be sitting over it all. Your argument just took him off the throne problem. And uh, what a big deal. He says, why are we condemned as a sinner? That's really the question. Why? Uh, I'm just saying, hey, I'm playing a role in helping God reveal his awesomeness. That's the ridiculous twisted argument. All right. And so let me just say this phrase. Uh, rebellion is not assistance. Are you hearing me? Rebellion is not assistance. That's the joke of the argument. Our sin, putting ourselves on the throne, that's all about me and it's outright rebellion against God and his glory. Rebellion is rebellion. Assistance is coming alongside, seeing the vision, being a part of it, lifting him up. It's worship. Rebellion is not assistance. Don't mix the two up. Uh, it actually challenges in the end here. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Because you sinned. Right? That's not that complex. Uh, if it helped, why can't it be washed away that way? Just, it was a help. Never mind. Because rebellion outright will be dealt with by God's wrath. We read it in chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Period. That's where we stand. Don't lose track of it. It's never, ever different. He says, why not do evil that good may come? Come on, Paul. There can't really be people saying these things. Were there? Notice what he says right after it. As some people slanderously charge us with saying. Can you believe that? Now, the word slander means wrongly saying something about someone. Okay. Gossip is when you're saying something about them. It very well may be true. Slander is when you're saying it. And it didn't even true. You're making it up. And, and they're saying this about Paul. You're saying that sin is, it, 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 you're saying sin is good because, because uh, it'll like let God's righteousness come out. So I should keep sinning. That's what you're saying. That's stupid. I'm not going to listen to that. And Paul's like, that's not what I'm saying. Right. Objection is what's coming out. You're saying I can keep on sinning. Paul's like, no, I'm not. The wrath of God is revealed against sin. Please hear me on that. Just know this. Our God's bigger. Amen. That was a good spot for an amen. Our God's bigger. That's what we're talking about. Our God's got a plan and he knows what he's doing. And in the midst of our wretched brokenness, God's going to be doing something amazing. That's salvation. Wow. What a privilege. It says, and some people slanderously charge us with saying this. Paul's final statement on it. Their condemnation is just. The end of the section. Like that's how he ends this. Just so you know, you deserve to be punished for that statement. I guess kind of where he's at. Will you please stop toying with the glory of God? Uh, It is not about your comfort. Uh, You do need to recognize where you stand with him. And that's what he's saying. Please make sure that we grasp with all we have that uh, our God is faithful. And we're the ones that are faithless. And yes, there is punishment that comes with that. And that's why we need a savior, period. Uh, I just wrote this down. When we do not understand someone or something, we wrongly simplify their position. Be careful when you're talking to your spouse or your family or your coworkers. When it is so painfully obvious that they're ridiculous in their statement, you very well may not be understanding the point they're trying to make. When we wrongly understand, we oversimplify the position. That's exactly what's happening to Paul's um, accusers right now. They're oversimplifying. And their logic is woefully short. Forgot about covenant. Forgot about responsibility. Uh, Here's another statement when we're upset with people. Do not villainize just to keep your self-centeredness. Do not villainize just to keep your own self-centeredness. You hearing it? Like I get wrong on people. I get rough on people when I don't want to have to give up me. That's what these guys were doing. And Paul's challenging them to it. And uh, he's just saying in the end, we all stand in the same position. Romans 1, 2, and 3, over and over again, same point. Every single human being in dire need, in dire need. We have violated our almighty king's plan. We have gone about exchanging his glory for our own selfishness. And we're running about making it about me. And here's the beauty. But God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful. And there is hope in him. May we never villainize our God because of our own shortcomings. God is faithful 
and to be so worshipped in all that he is. I just want to take a few minutes here at the end and let's just turn it back to that simple statement. Lord, is there some place where I'm taking it against you and I shouldn't be? Lord, is there some spot where I need to just be laying it out and asking forgiveness? Father, I want to see you as faithful right now. All right, let's just bow our heads. Father God, forgive us for those moments where we make it all about us. Lord, we come to you now in confession. Just right where you are, we call the spiritual breathing. Just breathe out. Father, please forgive me. I've judged. I've judged others or I've villainized them or I've villainized you, calling you unfaithful. Please forgive me. Just lay it before him now. too often we create our own objections as we hear the truth we resist father please forgive us now let's just breathe in the greatness of our god let me just read this from lamentations 3 the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end they are new every morning great is your faithfulness the lord is my portion says my soul Therefore, I will hope in him. Worship your God and thank him for his steadfastness, for his mercies that never cease. They come day by day. this passage and its simple challenge challenge to respect your chosen nation challenge to respect your word and the power of your word in our lives challenge to see that our sinfulness is ridiculous and needs to be laid down challenge to recognize that you are king are in charge let's bring it back to breathing out and lay it before him Asking for his assist as you run with him as your God. sitting here this morning and you're devastated with something there's something going on and the steadfast love of the Lord and his faithfulness is just not clear man I'd love to be praying for you right now if you're struggling with something feel free to raise your hand I'll be praying for you 
that God make it clear who he is, that he'd come along beside you anything you're wrestling with so that I could just pray for you now man I see that hand man I'll be praying for you in just a second with things in this room. Can you feel it? As you're following your God, will you just be praying out right now? There are ones struggling. May they see God as faithful. May our Lord make himself clear in this moment. It is all about him. It is nothing about us. Just be praying right now, will you? For those hands raised. Amen, bro. We need to be on our knees and that our God is faithful. Let me just pray here for all of us. Lord, we pray for each hand raised. There is so much stirring. Lord, I don't know the stories you do. You are God Almighty, King of this universe. You watch over everything and you are faithful. Lord, we praise your name that your steadfast love, immovable, unchanging is pouring out upon us even now. Lord, I pray for each soul here wrestling. Lord, in this moment, may they take that pain and set it at their feet right before you. Right now, do that with your God. Just set it down before them. The hurt and the tears, whatever it is. And look to your King. Great is His faithfulness. We worship you and we celebrate you. That to every objection our humanity and our flesh wants to bring, there is answer. And it's always tied in great as our God. Truly, you are faithful and we worship you, Lord. Lord, I pray for each soul in this room. May we long to know you deeper and richer. May your word become our everything. We celebrate you with all we have. It's in your mighty name I pray these things. And all of God's people said,